Testament to the book of Exodus. <coughs> Excuse me for coughing in the microphone. Exodus chapter number four. It's been a beautiful week. God blessed us with rain. How exciting it was to get a little bit of, uh, a little bit of moisture out there on the grass. I saw him having to water the soccer field, the football field for the guys. And thank the Lord he come behind us and did that cool things off just a little bit. And I've heard a lot of people talking about the rain and how good it's been that God has sent us some rain and cooled us off a little bit. And I was thinking there a moment ago, boy, if we would just crave that God would fall on this place like we've been craving that rain. Oh, what God could do in our hearts and lives today. Exodus chapter 4, if you're there and you can, let's stand together. In verse 1, I'm going to share a, a simple thought with you today. And here's the good news. I don't think I'm going to be mean, all right? I'm going to try to be nice during most of the service. Exodus chapter number four. Pick up in verse number one. This is right as God is calling Moses to go into Egypt and to deliver his people. The Bible says, and Moses answered and said, but behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice, for they will say, the Lord hath not appeared unto thee. And the Lord said unto him, what is that in thine hand? And he said, a rod. And he said, cast it on the ground, and he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses fled from before it. Now, just take note right there. Here's a grown man of God running from snakes, okay? So I'm going to chalk that up, and I'm in good company when I do the same, despite what my wife tells me. Verse number four, and the Lord said unto Moses, put forth thine hand and take it by the tail. And he put put forth in his hand and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob hath appeared unto thee. The Lord said furthermore unto him, put now thine hand into thy bosom. And he put his hand into his bosom. When he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous as snow. And he says, put thy hand into thy bosom again. And he put his hand into his bosom again. And he plucked it out of his bosom. And behold, it was turned again as other flesh, as his other flesh. Verse 8, and it came to pass, come to pass, if they will not believe thee, neither hearken to the voice of the first sign, that they will believe the voice of the latter sign. Watch how far God is willing to go to convince his people. And it shall come to pass, if they will not believe also these two signs, neither hearken unto thy voice, that thou shalt take of the water of the river and pour it upon dry land, the dry land. And the water which thou takest out of the river shall become blood upon the dry land. We'll read a little bit more later, but let's go ahead and pray. Lord, I do thank you for your word, and thank you, Lord, that it is quick and living and powerful. And Lord, I put my faith and trust in your word this morning that it'll accomplish what you sent it. I'm trusting in the Holy Spirit to do what only he can do in our hearts. Lord, I pray that you give us liberty, give us recollection. Lord, give us boldness to say what you'd have us to say today, and then bless the invitation that we'd respond in a way that's pleasing to you, for it's in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I think every time I open the Bible, or I try, every time I open the Bible, or I go to a service to hear the Word of God preach, I often pray that God would show me something. I hope that you don't just open your Bible in the mornings, and I do hope you open your Bibles in the mornings, but I hope that when you do, that you're not just reading it so you can check off your yearly Bible reading chart that you have read your three chapters for the day. I hope you're opening the Word of God that God would show you something. But I want you to know this morning, probably one of the greatest things that God shows me through his word and through the preaching of God's word is oftentimes when he shows me myself. It's amazing how we can read uh, in and out of the pages of this book and through each chapter and through uh, through each account that that the Bible records for us and how often we can see ourselves there. Now, folks, this is why God preserved his word for us. He wants us to be able to read into the lives of people who, by the way, their blood was red, just like yours and mine. Sometimes we think because God used these people to do miraculous things that they were not humans. No, they were humans, just like you and I. And God wants us to learn from them and to see ourselves in their experiences to glean what to do and what not to do. We get to learn from other people's mistakes. That's free education. You can learn a lot just by watching other people's mistakes. And this morning, I believe we can look into Exodus chapter 4, and we'll look at a few other passages of Scripture here in Exodus in a moment, and we can see ourselves in the life of Moses. Oftentimes, I see Moses as someone who reached heights in his walk with God that are unattainable, and yet God used Moses as a normal man, and God desires to use us as normal men. 
But I see a cycle here in Exodus chapter 4. <clears throat> in Exodus chapter 4, verse 1, Moses is answering God when God's called him to go into Egypt and deliver his people. Now, watch this cycle and see if it's not familiar in your own walk with God. Number one, God calls him, okay, as God calls you and I. God calls us to salvation first. After we get saved, God calls us into service. I'm glad God calls us into service. That he wants to use us. That he desires to do things through us. So God calls us, and then we see in verse number one, <clears throat> the Bible says, but Moses answered and says, but behold, they will not believe me. So God calls, and the second thing that usually happens is we question, okay? God calls us, and he shows us and tells us what he wants from us. And then we begin to question God. I, I wish I could get to the place, Brother Jim, in my life where God just called and I said yes. Why do we have to learn? I'm, look, I am guilty. You may not be guilty. You may say, my goodness, you are so far out of the will of God and so below me spiritually. Maybe so. And I, I hope that you're walking tall this morning spiritually. But why can't we just say God calls and we say yes and we, instead of having to learn the same lessons over again? I mean, there are lessons that I have to continually learn over and over and over again in my life. God calls and rather than just be obedient, I question him. This is what Moses is doing in verse 1. Behold, they will not believe me. And then finally God does some things in verse 2 through verse number 9 that finally convinces Moses. Okay? So God calls, we question, and finally God convinces us. This is a pattern that's played out in my life so many times. God calls, I question, and sooner or later God convinces me. But I'll tell you this. A lot of times we waste a lot of time for God to convince us. Rather than just be obedient to what God's called us to. So God calls Moses to go into Egypt to lead his people out. The first thing Moses says, behold, they will not believe me. Oh, I have played that card before. Oh, I just can't go solding today. I can't give them a gospel track. They're, they're just not going to believe me. And oftentimes, here's what I'm guilty of. I'm more ready to accept the problems that say I can't than to accept the promises that say I can't. I'm ready to accept the problems that say I can't. I told you Wednesday night, I've even not gone into people's yards before just because it looked like they were scary people. Or maybe they had a big dog, you know, or, 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 or maybe they had a political sign in their yard that was not one that I supported. We'll just put it generically. And I think they're not going to listen to me, and so what am I doing? I'm already questioning what God told me to do. And finally, God convinces me. Folks, can I tell you, if God's going to use us as he used Moses, we've got to be more ready to accept the promises that say we can than to accept the problems that say we can't. Now, God takes verse 2 through verse number 9 to convince Moses of what he's calling him to do. Now, let me tell you something. You're going to have a hard time. You're going to be hard-pressed convincing the people that we are called to if you're not convinced yourself. I mean, look, there's no point in going about the will of God half-heartedly. You need to be 100% confidently convinced of what God's called you to do and go out there and do it. My daughter, I'm going to pick on her for a second. She's playing volleyball for the first time this year. And volleyball's never been a part of our family tree. This is new to us. You know, we played volleyball as a youth group out there in the grass, but we didn't know there were actual rules, you know, to volleyball. And so I said, man, dad's going to have to read up on this. I went to a volleyball game the other night just to know what we're doing. And uh, my daughter says, you know, dad, I, I just don't know how to do this very well. And I haven't been playing it long. And she's a little bit timid, Okay. Because she hasn't got her confidence in it yet. She hasn't got fully convinced of it yet. Folks, can I tell you, when you get fully convinced of something, you'll have confidence in it. So God goes through all of the trouble of verse 2 through verse number 9 to convince Moses. Why? Because Moses has got to be convincing. Moses has got to go stand before the leader of the world... And tell him that he wants him to let God's people go. And look, you're not going to do that unless you're convinced of yourself. And that God has made his will known and made his will clear. There's, there's no room for that. So what I want you to notice is as we read, God tells him three things. In verse number three, he says, what do you have in your hand? He says, I have a rod. Okay, and he says, throw it down. He threw the rod down. It became a snake. He says, all right, I want you to take the rod. I want you to pick it up. 
I love the fact that the Bible says uh, that he caught it by the tail. You know, because I can just see Moses there. Some of you manly men, you're going to grab it by the head. Well, the Bible says, the Lord said unto Moses, take it by the tail, okay? So the Lord was just advising Moses to be safe, you know? So that's what I'm doing. I'm being safe when I don't grab it by the head. So God says, pick up the stick, and he picked up the stick, and it became, the snake, and it became a stick again. Verse number four, he says, I want you to put your hand into your coat. When he pulled it out, it was covered white with leprosy. And he says, put it back, and he put it back, and he pulled it back out, and it was clean. In verse number 9, he tells him, I want you to go scoop up some water out of the river. And you pour it out, that water is going to become blood. So God is doing some amazing things to convince Moses. Matter of fact, if you look down at verse number 21, God calls these things wonders. He calls them wonders. He says, Moses, when you go talk to Pharaoh, and when you go and you talk to the children of Israel, watch what he says in verse 21. I love this verse, I really do. The Lord said unto Moses, when thou goest to return into Egypt, see that thou do all those wonders. Here's what God says. Moses, go tell them what I told you to tell them. But then after you tell them what I told you to tell them, then I want you to do those wonders. He says, I don't want you to just tell them something. I want you to show them something. Now, folks, I remember back in kindergarten, maybe first, second grade, there was this thing called show and tell, where you brought the neatest thing from your house to show off to people at your school. For the life of me, I cannot remember what I brought for show and tell, but I'm sure it was cool because I'm just a cool guy and I have cool stuff. Can I tell you the call of God is a show and tell proposition? God wants us to go, and God wants us to tell, and I'm going to say, for the most part, we've got that part down okay. We are very good at talking about what God's called us to do, but I'll tell you where we're lacking, it's in the showing department. We have forgotten. I want you to look at verse 18 to verse 21, and you realize Moses is getting ready to go into Egypt, and I picture Moses packing in my head. He's packing things up. Verse number 18, he's, getting, he's talking to his father-in-law, says, I've got to go. And he's getting his family all together in verse number 20. And as he's packing, God says in verse number 21, don't forget to do all of those wonders. He's telling him, when you go and you tell, don't forget to show the things that I gave you to show them. Can I tell you, <clears throat> I believe today the world has heard a lot from the church They've heard us talk about it. They've heard us harp on it. They've heard our bumper stickers. They've heard our Christian t-shirts. But the one thing the world is still waiting for is I believe the world is waiting for us to show them some wonders. We're not showing them anything. We say that we're here representing Almighty God. And we are called of God to deliver this world. And yet we have nothing to show them. God made it a point to show Moses some things that he would be convinced. And he says, hey, if I did that for you, Moses, now you have enough heart to go do it for them. The problem is we're sticking with half the commission of the tell part, but we're not showing much. This morning, I believe these wonders that verse 21 talks about is what the world is waiting for. These wonders to see that we are who we say we are. To see some type of evidence that we represent who we say we represent. I believe that's what the world is waiting for. Folks, I want to look at these three wonders this morning. And I believe that God's calling us to show them what we've been telling them about. To show them what we've been telling. Did you ever have a friend in school? My points are short, so my introduction's long. Have you learned that yet? Long introduction, short message. Amen. I saw some of your eyes light up just for a moment there and smile. It's okay. You're just being honest. You ever have a friend when you were in school and they kept telling you about all this awesome stuff they had at their house? I mean, I got this and four wheelers and I got guns, BB guns and man, I got, you know, night vision goggles and all of this stuff and you never really came up with anything. After a while, you begin to realize, I think this guy just has a very wild imagination. This is how I think the world views the church. We keep telling them all of these things. We serve the living most high God. 
creator of the world, and we love talking about it, and that's great. But the sad thing is that never translates into anything wonderful. Now, folks, I believe the world's waiting to see the wonders in verse number 21. And I got to tell you this, if God was willing to show Moses... You know, Moses should have just gone because God says go, but God loved him enough that God showed him these wonders. And if God is willing to do that for us, then we should be willing to do that for them. So this morning, let's look at these three wonders and try to see what the world is waiting for. Look at verse 2. The Bible says, and the Lord said unto him, what is in thine hand? And he says, said a rod. And he said, cast it on the ground. And he cast it on the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from before it. The Lord said unto Moses, put forth thine hand and take it by the tail. And he put forth his hand and caught it and it became a rod in his hand. So what are these wonders? What was God doing through these things? Well, he says in verse number one, what if they don't believe me? What if I go tell them and they don't listen to me? What if they don't believe me? These wonders that God talks about in verse number 21, the first thing that they were, they were an answer for unbelief. They were an answer for unbelief. Now, folks, we love to argue with people. My dad told me years ago I could argue with a fence post, and I think he's right. Sometimes I argue so much I forget what we were arguing about. That's my wife, amen? We forget what we were arguing about. I just want to win. I, I just like to win. And I, I don't even know what I'm winning about. There's no trophy for it, but I just like to win the argument. And sometimes we just like to talk about the things of God, and we're not convincing very many people. So how do you know? Just look at the world we live in. We're not winning this battle. We're losing it. Now, can I tell you what these wonders are? The wonders, the evidence that you represent who you say you represent, this is the answer for their unbelief. I believe what God's telling Moses, <clears throat> you go and negotiate, but sooner or later, you're going to break off negotiations and you take up demonstrations. Amen? That's what God's calling us to do. Look, nothing wrong with negotiating. Nothing. I talk to people at grocery stores. You know, you can strike up a conversation with somebody at a grocery store today. Just leave the door open. Come back to Walmart. If you, you know you're going back to Walmart, all right? Go to the same checkout person. Walk back through. Keep the conversation going. Nothing wrong with negotiating. But can I tell you one of the greatest witnesses of you convincing them that you represent who you say you represent is to show them something wonderful to answer their belief. It's hard to argue with what you see. John chapter 13, verse 35, Jesus says this. He says, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples, that you have love for one another. Notice he says, they will know. That means they will know you are who you say you are by this evidence. What's the evidence? That you love one another. When you love people the way that Christ loved people, Christ didn't just love the people that are dressed up in church on Sunday morning. Christ didn't just love the people that loved him and gave things to him. No, he went to the woman at the well. He went to Zacchaeus. He went to the gathering demoniac. He went to those people. And when you show that kind of love, that's when they will know you are who you say you are and that you represent who you say you represent. Now listen to me, folks. You can talk to your blue in the face and I believe the church has gotten into a bad habit of that. We love debating and apologetics and all this stuff. And we just want to have the right little, we use the word zinger. Do you know what that is? In an argument, a zinger is that atomic bomb that you drop. You store it away. You don't play that card first. You're trying to be nice. You're trying to be cordial. And then all of a sudden, they punch you in the mouth. Not literally, figuratively. You're like, you done messed up now you just blow them up and, and look we're out to win the argument more than we're out to win the person we're not here to win the argument we're here to win the people all right and the best way you can convince them is to show them some of these wonders what kind of wonders that answer their unbelief I read a beautiful story years ago and I probably had the details mixed up but it went something like this there was this couple about to be engaged here in the United States, and uh, they were just in love, you know, cloud nine, goo goo, you know. Some of you remember, some of you don't, and that's sad, but some of you remember. And um, he says, you know, if I go over here, he had a job offer in Ireland. And he said, if I can go over here and work two years, I can make enough money to come back and buy a house and live happily ever after. And so he decided to do that, so he ships off to Ireland 
While he's over there, he calls back home and checks in and talks with her and she talks with him. And he began in his conversations to talk about different people he'd met and some of the people he'd met were female. Well, naturally, being a a red-blooded American woman, she kind of got riled a little bit about that. She says, you're talking to other women? He says, well, of course I'm talking to them because there's women and I don't want to be rude. And she began to worry about him, that he he might be unfaithful the two years he was away. So here's what she did. She sent him a harmonica in the mail and she says, here's what I want you to do. Anytime that some girl flirts with you or tries to allure you, I want you to pull out your harmonica and just start playing that harmonica. So the two years he was over there, he agreed to do that, to keep his word, a commitment, and his faithfulness to his uh, later be, would later be wife. And he came back after two years and got off the ship and was walking down the gangplank and saw her waiting there and opened up his arms and ran up to her and she said, stop right there. She says, no kisses, no hugs until I hear you play. He broke out that harmonica and he played one of the best harmonica solos you've ever heard. Now here's what she wanted. She wanted evidence. She says, wait a minute, I want some evidence that you have been doing what you've been saying you've been doing. And he pulled it out, man, and he went to town with it. He gave her evidence of his word. Now, folks, we're giving them our word, but we're not giving them much evidence. We talk about our God as the the God of peace and joy and contentment and all of the power, and there's none of those evidences in our life. Listen, if we are going to win this world, if you're going to win your co-workers and your family, you're going to have to do something wonderful. You say, well, I shouldn't have to do that. Why did God? God didn't have to do it either, and yet he did. He told Moses, take your rod, throw it down, pick it back up. He was showing him just how wonderful he was. And folks, by our testimony and the evidence of God in our life, we are showing who we represent. In John chapter 11, we read the story of Lazarus. This week at Ms. Bell's funeral, we got to preach about Lazarus a little bit. And boy, the testimony of Lazarus and how the Bible says when Christ went over to the grave, uh, the Bible says Jesus wept. We see the humanity of Christ there at the grave and The Bible says that after Lazarus was raised from the dead, that many that had seen him raised, the Bible says they believed. Many that had seen him be raised from the dead, they believed. What happened? Well, Christ spoke the word, and Lazarus just did it. He said, Lazarus, come forth. And when Lazarus came forth, his life, his entire being, was evidence of the power of God. You see, his life was the evidence. Now, folks, Lazarus didn't have to say a word. As a matter of fact, his mouth was still taped shut. Sometimes I wonder if that wouldn't help us as the church. Just tape our mouth shut and let people watch the way we live. But the Bible says they saw what God did and they believed. I believe the world is waiting to see some things from us because they've heard a lot and they're waiting to see some things from us. And it's time we prove we are who we say we are by the evidence of God's presence in our life. Acts chapter 4, verse 13, preached this at teen camp. I remember this past summer. The Bible says when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. Now, the key word in there is the word saw. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they took knowledge that they had been with Christ. When they saw their life, they saw the boldness of them, they automatically connected that with Christ. Would not it be wonderful this morning? If we lived a life in a way that when people saw the way we live, it automatically drew a connection to Christ. We would see a different country. We would see a different country. Look, quit arguing with them. Quit trying to win the argument and get just the best zinger to blow them up. No, just let them see Christ in you. And when they see Christ in us, they'll begin to wonder, what are you smoking? What kind of drug are you on? Well, it's not a drug. It's not anything I'm smoking. It's someone, and his name is Jesus Christ. You see, that's the change that he brings in our life that people desire to have. That's why they were first called Christians at Antioch. They looked at this group of people, and they thought of Christ. Oh, that ought to be something we all aspire to this morning. That when people look at my life, there's something about me that they think of Christ. You see, that's how we answer their unbelief. Now, here's what's interesting. If you'll read on, we're not going to do it for the sake of time. Chapter 7, Moses goes before Pharaoh. Moses throws his rod down, takes it back up, and it turns back into a stick. Well, then Pharaoh's sorcerers, they throw their rod down, and their rod becomes a snake too. 
But wait a minute. Moses picks his back up and becomes a rod again. They could not do what Moses could do. Now stick with me here. Moses' rod was capable of so much more than their rods were. And I believe this morning God's trying to show us that his people ought to be able to do something that Pharaoh's crowd can't do. Something a little bit more. Folks, hear me out this morning. So often we try to keep up with the world. When the Bible says that our standard of living and our standard of Christian holiness, listen, it ought to exceed the standard of the world. And he says, Moses, you're going to convince them by showing them the wonders that you can do something they can't. Now, folks, there's something bad wrong. Because the church today, rather than do something the world can't do, we're trying to do what the world does. There's no power in that. There's no power when we are capable of doing what they're capable of doing. I used to use the illustration with my kids all the time in Wednesday night class. I would take out a $5 bill out of my pocket. And I would give it to one of the kids. I would take it back later, but I would give it to them temporarily. So here's you a $5 bill. And I would pull out a $5 bill, another $5 bill. I'd say, hey, would you trade me this $5 bill for that $5 bill? And they says, no, this is mine. Well, then I pulled out a $10 bill. I says, would you trade me that $5 bill for this $10 bill? Look, some of those kids weren't the smartest kids in the world. But they were smart enough to realize that was a good deal. Because I was offering them something more than what they had. Now, can I tell you, we're going up to the world, and for some reason, we're trying to offer them. I mean, even in the church, we're trying to offer them what they already have, an emotional experience rather than an experience with God. Now, folks, listen, if we're going to reach them and convince them, we've got to be able to do something they can't do. The problem is we're trying to keep up with them. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said this to his disciples. He said, if you love them which love you, Listen to the question he poses. What do ye more than others? The key word in there is more. He says, how are you any different than they are? Brother Breland so eloquently preached last Sunday afternoon on Daniel and used the verse where the Bible says that they found Daniel ten times better. Daniel wasn't breaking even in the world. Can I tell you why the church is not convincing anybody? Because we're trying to break even with the world. We borrow their music, we borrow their styles, we borrow what they like, we bring it into the church. We're just trying to break even with them. That's why we're not convincing them. If we're going to win them, we've got to be a little bit better and show them what our God can do for them. That's what a testimony is all about. If we're going to answer their unbelief, we're going to have to do some wonders. He said in verse number 21, don't forget, look at this, do all those wonders. Moses, go in there and tell them, but then be sure you do all those wonders. Wonders. Look at the second thing real quickly. Verse 4, the Bible says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Put forth thine hand and take it by the tail. And he put forth his hand and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand. Verse 5, that they may believe. Now notice what's at stake here. That they may believe. This is not a joke. This is not a game. If we don't do some wonders then they may not believe. Well, I told them, and that ought to be good enough. It wasn't good enough for God because God took the time to show Moses we ought to love them as much as God loved us. That we're going to go show them some wonders as well. And then the Bible says in verse 6, God doesn't stop there. Oh, you can see God's mercy and grace. And the Lord said furthermore unto him, he's fixing to take it a little bit farther. Put now thy hand in thy bosom. And he put his hand in his bosom. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous as snow. And he says, put thy hand into thy bosom again. And he put his hand in his bosom again and plucked it out of his bosom. And behold, it was turned again as is other flesh. Now this is wonderful. Moses puts his hand in, pulls it out. It's covered in leprosy. Puts his hand back in, pulls it out. And it's clean. What is God saying? Well, the second thing these wonders were, listen close, was an example of change. It was an example of change. God says, Moses, I want you to show them the difference that I can make in their life. The wonders. He says, don't forget the wonders. The wonders are going to answer their unbelief, but then the wonders will show them the example of change. He says, it was just as much as you pulling your hand out and having leprosy. That's just how powerful God is. Now, I wonder this morning, 
if our world just saw enough change that God brought about in our life, if they might just desire to have what we have. I've told you many times, I've been experimenting with everything under the sun to keep that little spot on the back of my head from getting bigger. I mean, I even saw an I Love Lucy the other day. They put mustard on his head and tried that. And if I can just get five minutes, my wife, away from the house, we're going to break out that mustard and see what happens, you know. Maybe get it to grow back. I'm, look, I'm willing to try anything that works. Do you know why people are sniffing glue, paint, shooting up carpet cleaner in their veins? They're looking for something. They're looking for something. God tells Moses, I want you to show them the change I can bring in their life by putting your hand in and pulling it out different. Mark chapter 5 and verse 42, we have the account of the daughter of Jairus. Jairus' daughter had died and Christ goes up to the room and he says, the damsel only sleepeth and they laughed at him. The Bible says that when Jesus walked over and she was raised from the dead, listen close to the wording in Matthew 5, 42. The Bible says they were astonished with great astonishment. They were astonished with great astonishment. What does that mean? It means their mind was blown at the change that had taken place in that little girl's life. They saw the change. I mean, she as Lazarus was dead. Life was gone from her. She was beyond help. And then here comes Jesus and does what only Jesus could do and brings life to one who was called hopeless and one who everybody laughed about that there's no chance that she'll be raised. Now, I just wonder today, how many of us here might have a testimony that fits in that category? I was one that they thought that couldn't be reached. Or maybe you were one that they thought was too far gone. And by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, you've been raised. Can I tell you, that's an example of the change they need to see. But here's what's sad. Our average Christian, this is, this is nationwide. Our average Christian today in our churches make very little progress beyond the cross. We come to the cross, we get saved, and we don't make much steps forward in growth and change in our life after we got saved. Can I tell you, the change in your life is going to be the testimony that makes them wonder. That's why, look, look, this is why we have those bad words we don't like to talk about, holiness and separation, mentioned in Sunday school this morning. I know we'd love to omit those from the Word of God. Let me tell you something. Listen, it ought to be something that scares us. Because look, the further God brings us from where we were, the greater testimony of his power. They remember who we were, and they're like, Lazarus, you were dead, man. Don't get much worse than that. I mean, he's dead. And now he's sitting at the table eating dinner. How did that happen? Christ. The Bible goes on to say that many believed because of what Lazarus, they saw in his life. The change was so great. Now, why are we so resistant to God changing our life? Well, because we're attached to those things that we had before we got saved. We brought some luggage with us. This is what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We know very well. The Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. New. That means not the same, not the old. New creature. The Bible says, old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Now listen to me. That ought ought to be something we're scared of. That ought to be something we embrace. Why? Because it's the testimony of the change in our life that's going to convince them. We keep trying to convince them with our words and our eloquence. It's not in that. The Bible says we came not with excellency of speech, but in demonstration of the spirit and the power of God. You see, it's a demonstration. Sometimes, every once in a while, I'll hear a preacher preach how eloquently they are. Or eloquent. See, I'm not even eloquent in saying eloquently in their speech. Boy, I listen to Adrian Rogers preach from time to time, or the Hiles preach from time to time. Some of these guys that have gone on to be with the Lord now, and you'll hear how they present things. Man, I, I've got to work on my presentation and polish it up just a little bit better. You know, the Bible says that our preaching ought to be a demonstration of the Spirit and the power of God. Our life is just a demonstration, and that's what's going to convince them an example of the change that God can bring. 
the woman at the well. She told people after she had gotten saved, she says, come see a man that told me all the things whatsoever I'd ever done. She says, come see. Notice she didn't say, all right, let me tell you how it went down. There was this warm, fuzzy feeling come over me and this gold light shone down out of heaven. Y'all remember the show Touched by an Angel years ago? Some of us, I think, take that for real. You know, that's not for real, right? All right, I'm just checking. You know, people believe some stuff today that I, you know, I don't know all about about it, but I had this experience where this warm, fuzzy feeling came over me and this light began to shine down, and I'm pretty sure I heard angels in the background. Oh. No, she says, come see. She just said, come see. And the Bible says that many believed. Many believed because of that woman. Why? Because of the change that had taken place in her life. Now, here's our problem. I'm going to hurry. But you notice, when he threw the stick down, the stick was changed to a snake, and it was turned back into a stick. Oftentimes, we don't mind God changing the stick, but we don't want him changing us. The first time, he threw the stick down, and, Lord's, and Moses was like, yeah, yeah, see what he can do? The next thing is, I want you to take your hand. Now, it's personal. Take your hand, Moses. I want to use you as an example. Oh, wait a minute. Well, I'm nobody special, you know. You no, no, no. God, listen, if he saved you by his grace, listen, he wants to use your life as an example of the change that he could bring. You say, well, I was never down in the gutter, in the ditch, and all that. That means you've got to work even harder to put some distance between who you were and who you are. This is why 1 Peter chapter 2, in fact, I'm going to read that for you right quick. 1 Peter chapter 2, listen close. Read this when you get home, write it down. The Bible says this about God's people. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. That ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Do you know what that sounds like to me? Can I just give you a little bit of, uh, of my vernacular? It sounds like verse number 9 is a daylight and dark difference. He's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You know how a room looks when it's dark? Well, the power goes out. It's creepy, isn't it? You trip over stuff you did not even know was there. You know, you trip over. Uh, the other day, our power went out for a little while and stubbed my toe on the couch, walking through, caught the door. I mean, all kinds of stuff happened. It's a wonder I can walk so much better when the lights are on. Some of you ought to try it. Some of you are like skeptical. You just need to try it when you get home, all right? By the way, it's okay to smile at church every once in a while. Amen? What a difference the light makes. It's a daylight and dark difference. That's what our testimony ought to be. A daylight and dark difference. He says, look, you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. He's trying to let us know we ought to be different. I don't know a whole lot of royalty. You know, I've met the crawfish king a few times, but, you know, that's about it for me. But those folks, man, they're They're different. They're different. They do different things. They go different places. They act different ways. Verse 10 says this, 2 Peter 2, or 1 Peter 2, which in times past were not a people. You didn't even have a nation of your own, verse 10. But now are the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Do you see the change and the difference he's trying to make? He goes on to say, verse 11, dearly beloved, I beseech you, that means I beg you, as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conversation, that means lifestyle, honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak evil against you as evildoers, they may, listen close, they may buy your good works, which they shall behold. He didn't have to add that last part, but he did just to make it clear. That they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Notice, they glorify God by the good works that they shall behold. The difference that's in our life ought to be a noticeable difference. We've seen the church over the past 20 years drastically make an about faith, running back to things God called us from. All in the name of reaching them. But God told Moses, you're going to reach them by being different than them. 
He says, there's going to be a change in you. You're going to be able to do stuff they can't do. But for some reason, we are going back over here. No offense to you folks on this side. Amen. It's my right. Okay. My right. You know, so, you know, you're on my right side. These are the goats over here and you're the lambs over here. But we're running back over here to the world and we're asking the world how to do church. We're supposed to be different. And it's the difference that's going to convince them. We've swallowed this hook, line, and sinker. To be like them, to win them, we must be like them. It's not going to work. I believe the world is waiting to see a difference in us. The world is waiting to see a change in our life, that we can do something they can't do. And that's what he told Moses. Put your arm in there and just show them the difference that I can make. I read an amazing story just this morning, back in 1921, <clears throat> Medical technology had not advanced to where it is obviously here today. And people were dying over things like gallbladder issues and and, and appendicitis. Because some of the people had heart issues and they could not put them under anesthesia because the heart issue, they were afraid they would not wake up from that. So people that had just appendicitis would die because they could not put them to sleep. There was a doctor by the name of Evan Kane. Evan Kane believed that you could use a local anesthetic to numb the area and to take out the appendix without putting them to sleep. Nobody believed him. Nobody wanted to try that. And so Evan Kane had this marvelous idea. He would put himself under local anesthesia and he would operate on himself to remove his own appendix which he did, and which he survived. Everybody was going back and forth. You can't do it. That's not going to work. That's not going to help them. And you can't do that. You're going to die. And so he says, you know what? I'll prove it myself. And you read the story. If you have a, if you have a weak stomach, I wouldn't read the story. But if you read the story, he had his head propped up, and he took out wherever it's at. I still got mine, so I don't know where it's at. You know, He took out his appendix. He said, I'm willing to prove it myself. I'll prove it myself. I'm tired of arguing with you guys that, yes, you can go under local anesthesia. No, you can't. No, she can't. He says, I'll prove it myself. Oh, that the Christians this morning would have the courage of Evan Cain and decide, you know what? I'm tired of arguing with you guys about how to build a church and how to win people and how to save the country. I'm just going to show it to you myself. I'm going to take my life and I'm going to live my life as an example of the change of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm just going to do it myself. Have you ever said that to somebody? Usually it's not nice when you do. I'll just do it myself. That's what Walmart's telling us now about bagging our own groceries. You just got to do it yourself. Do it yourself. And they don't even pay you for that. Anyway, we just kind of move on real quickly. I got that gripe out of the way. I believe the greatest witness this morning is a personal testimony of the change of the grace of God. The greatest, listen, the greatest witness you could ever have is the change that have. It's a change like leprosy or not. That's how much of a change they ought to see in our life. John chapter 9, we see the blind man that was healed, and they were asking him whether Christ was a blasphemer or not. He says, I don't know about that. All I know is I was blind, and now I can see. He says, let me tell you what he did for me. On the flip side of this, we'll hurry. I believe the greatest damage to our faith, and please understand this this morning and let it sink in, is when we are unaffected by what we profess. The greatest damage you can do to our faith is living a life that is unaffected by what you profess. That means you go tell people all about the God of peace, but your life's a train wreck. You tell God, you tell people about how your God has given victory and power when he rolls up from the grave and from the grave we roll, we sing this song, and yet our life has no victory in it. Let me tell you, you want to cast a shadow on the name and our faith, the name of Christ, and just be unaffected by the things which you profess. I believe the world is waiting for an example of change. Evan Cain did. Evan Cain says, I'll show you. I'll show you. Why don't we quit trying to talk them into heaven and show them and lead them by the testimony? Now, the last thing's kind of interesting. Look down, if you will, quickly to verse 9. The Bible says, and it shall come to pass... If they will not believe also these two signs, stop right there just a second and just be thankful. God's not a one-strike God. He says, if they will not believe also these two signs, it's almost like God loved them and God wanted to win them. 
God knew they had a hard heart, and he says, okay, I want to give you one more thing real quick. It shall come to pass that they will not also believe also these two signs, neither hearken unto the voice, thy voice, that thou shalt take of the water of the river and pour it upon dry land, and the water which thou takest out of the river shall become blood upon the dry land. Now, you need to see what's happening here. Moses is trying to make the case to convince them that he is who he says he is and that he represents who he says he represents. God says, I want you to do one more thing. I want you to go down the river, and I want you to scoop some water out. And then when you pour that water out, it will be turned to blood. Verse 9 really holds one of the most important truths that you will convince those that are quite unsure about what we say we believe. You see, when Moses went down and scooped that water, he knew what was in there was just water. God says, I want you to pour it out. And when you pour it out, it's going to become blood. Can I tell you what this third wonder was? That verse 21, God says, show them this wonder. The third wonder was the effects of our faith. The effects of our faith. Watch closely what God is saying. When Moses scooped that water, it was just water. Moses had to trust God that when he poured it out, it would be what God said it was going to be. Do you know what that's called? That's called faith. I, I can, you know, have you ever tried to do a magic trick, an illusion? You know, kids, kids, you got to entertain them, you know, and try to learn some tricks, take off your thumb, you know, take off your nose and all that kind of stuff. And kids aren't easily impressed as they used to be, I'll tell you that. And so you're going to try this trick. You're going to show these kids this wonderful, you know, illusion you came up with an illustration in class, and, uh, you know, you're going to stick a, a nail through this paper bag that has a piece of glass in it. You're going to stick it all the way through, and all of a sudden you, and it breaks. Doesn't work. Now, I want you to think about Moses as he prepares to pour out that water. In the heart of Moses, he's trusting God. God, you said it was going to become blood. God, I'm trusting you. And as he poured it, the blood that came out was the effects of his faith. Can I tell you what the world's waiting for today? They're waiting to see the effects of your faith in your life. We say we trust God. We say we do. I mean, we've got bumper stickers galore, bracelets, bumper stickers, T-shirts, all of that, that say we trust God. But we see very little effect in our life from the faith that we say we have. I think about my heroes, both in this life and those in the Word of God. And one is one my dad introduced me to years ago, missionary to Haiti, Brother Dalen Hicks. I think Brother Heath, you've met Brother Dalen, know him. He lives in South Louisiana, and God called him to go to Haiti to become a missionary. But Dalen Hicks, just an just a average Louisiana guy, knew that God called him, so he says, I'm just going to go. So with Dalen Hicks, let me tell you what he did to get to Haiti. Rather than get thousands and thousands of dollars to go, he just says, God called me to go. I'm just going to trust God. I'm just going to trust God. Nothing wrong with raising support, but he said, I'm just going to trust God. So he goes in his backyard. True story. I got the book on it. He goes in his backyard, and he builds a boat out of concrete. True story. He's still alive today. He builds a concrete boat. And floats it all the way to Haiti. You're thinking, this guy's nuts. He just believed God. And by loading his family up on that boat and sailing all the way down to Haiti, you were seeing the effects of his faith and his God. Can I ask you, what have you done lately that the people in your life can see that you have faith in your God? Is it your worry? Is it your doubt? No, that's not how they see God. Moses, he says, Moses, go show them. Go convince them that I am who I say I am by you putting your faith in me. How can we expect this lost world to put their faith in a God that we've yet to illustrate we have faith in? I mean, what are we doing in our life that says, I'm trusting you? When was the last time you stepped out on faith just to do what thus saith the Lord? No wonder we're not convincing anybody. Sometimes... Listen, we need to seek him first so that others can see that all these things are going to be added. Oh, how God wants to supply our needs. Listen, I'm not saying he's going to give you a Corvette. I'm not saying he's going to give you the, the house up on the hill. I'm not saying he's going to give you a around-the-world vacation. But there's some point in our life we've got to seek first the kingdom of God, Matthew 6, 33, 
so that the world can see that our God is faithful and that all these things shall be added. I just got a problem this morning. Can I give you my opinion? All right, I'm giving give my opinion. Interject it in right here. This is opinion. This is not in scripture. I got a problem with Christians that gripe. I really do. Why? Because God's been too good to us to gripe. I mean, you need to get on a plane and fly with me to some of the places that I've been. And you see how good God's been to us in this country? I mean, a bad day in America is better than, listen, I mean, a bad day in America is better than the, the, the worst day that, that, that they'll have over there in Nigeria and Uganda. Those people over there just trucking water up the hill that's full of mosquito larvae. All of this. Man, God's been good to us. We have no reason to grumble and to gripe this morning. When we grumble and gripe as Christians, what it says is our God is not faithful. What a sad testimony. Now, folks, listen, sooner or later, we got to do something. Sooner or later, we got to show something. He says, do all those wonders. Sooner or later, we got to do something by faith so that our loved ones can see that our God is real. We've got to show it to them. Think about old Naaman. Oh, how God wanted to heal Naaman of his leprosy. He says, I want you to go down to the muddy Jordan River and just jump in seven times. God wanted to do something to show his power, but Naaman had to be obedient and go down and jump in the river. You see, there's a human element in all of this. The sad thing is, real quickly, the sad thing is it appears this morning that our faith does not work. The sad thing is it appears our faith doesn't work. Why? Because what we say and the evidence that comes behind it, they don't line up. And yet this morning, the world is waiting to see your faith. The world is waiting to see the effects of your faith. I love what the spies, when they came back from the promised land, they came back with a cluster of grapes, the Bible says, between two poles. I mean, can you imagine how many smoothies you could make out of that? I love grape smoothies. I mean, it just kind of sweetens it up a little bit. Here they came back and they says, surely it's a land flowing with milk and honey. What were they saying? It's just what God said it was. It's just what God said it was. And here is the fruit thereof. They showed them. They said, well, let me tell you about it, man. There's grapes over there. Oh, this is No, no. They says, here it is. I'll show you. Oh, how would we be convincing today if we could just show people what God's done? Notice, if you will, verse 9, finish it out. It shall come to pass if they will not believe also these two signs, neither hearken unto thy voice. They're not hearkening to our voice, are they? That thou shalt take of the water of the river and pour it upon dry land, and the water which thou takest out of the river shall become blood upon the dry land. Can I tell you something this morning? I believe we've reached the end of negotiations. Look, keep talking to folks about the Lord. Keep giving folks gospel track. Keep asking folks if they die, are they going to heaven? But look, sooner or later, we've got to get around to the demonstration part. This is show and tell, not just tell. God says, Moses, I want those people to be reached but they may not believe you. So Moses, I want you to do some wonders. And those wonders are going to answer their unbelief. You're going to show them something that they will believe. Then those wonders, what they're going to do is those wonders are going to help them see through all that you demonstrate that I am who I say that I am. Now, folks, this morning, I got I to gotta wonder, what are the people in your world waiting on you to do? What are the people in your world waiting on you to do? They're waiting you to show them through your life and your testimony evidences of the change of God. What has God done in your life? That's what they're waiting to see. God says it's that important to convince them. And I believe the world's going to wait until we decide to let God work through us. Let's have our heads bowed this morning and our eyes closed. Let's